Welcome to Role Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 99 Al Kadim and Karatur. Now, before we get into the meat of this week's episode, I wanted to let you know that I am very well aware that the lengths of the episodes for the past month or so have been a bit shorter than I usually prefer. And I have to admit that this week's not going to be that much different. Now, the reason for that is that I've been spending a ton of time working on next week's episode, as well as trying to track down polls for the top role-playing modules of all time. All of that being said, I haven't had quite as much time to dig as deep as I usually would for these shows. Now, look, it's not that I don't care about these subjects. I mean, it's quite the opposite. I've just put myself on a sort of time crunch, and in order to meet my deadlines as well as be a responsible son, husband, father, and grandfather, uh, you get it, something had to give. Unfortunately, that was the amount of time I've had for research into the past couple of subjects. However, as I'm recording this, I'm working on getting the research and writing for both of the podcast feeds about two weeks ahead. So that means I'll have two weeks worth of written stuff ready to record, which allows me the breathing room to do the proper amount of research that every topic we do on this show deserves. So, I have heard you, and I'm taking the steps necessary to rectify the situation moving forward. Now this week, I did want to make sure we give the D&D settings of Al-Kadim and Karatur the love they deserve, and while I might not have done the amount of research I'd usually hold myself to, I can assure you we will be showing some love. So let's crank up the tour bus and hit our first topic for today. Al-Kadim is a campaign setting originally written for Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition. The brainchild of Jeff Grubb and Andrea Heyday, it was released by TSR in 1992. That was during TSR's great expansion into other settings for the AD&D product. In numerous interviews over the years, both Grubb and the development team from TSR at the time have credited 1001 Nights and the overall concept of Arabian Nights as the inspiration for the theme and tone of the setting. Now, I mentioned that Al-Kadim was released during the period of TSR's great expansion of campaign settings. Over an eight-year period, 1986 to 1994, TSR dropped 12 different settings onto the market, including our other topic for today, Kawatur, in 1986, Forgotten Realms in 1987, Spelljammer in 1989, Dark Sun in 1991, and Birthright, Council of Worms, and Planescape in 1994. Many of these settings still to this day have dedicated fans who've either picked up the updated versions of their settings, such as Forgotten Realms and Spelljammer, or figured out how to modify their setting to the most recent editions, like Dark Sun, Planescape, and Al-Kadim. The first book in the Al-Kadim line was Arabian Adventures. Much like Oriental Adventures before it, Arabian Adventures gave just enough of the basic rules of how to play an AD&D game in an Arabian setting for GMs and players to be able to get their campaign started in the new setting, with the plan being for the follow-up books in the line to fill in more of the specifics. The stated plan for Al-Kadim was for it to only be a two-year project, as was the original case for all of the new settings in the lines as they were dropped, but the popularity of this setting led to it being supported for another year. There were two boxed sets for Al-Kadim dropped over that period, Al-Kadim Land of Fate in 1992 and City of Delights in 1993. 
There were also eight different adventure boxes released, with 1992's Golden Voyagers, 1994's Corsairs of the Great Sea being the more popular of the releases. And the setting was so loved by so many that when Wizards of the Coast bought TSR in 1997, they allowed for one final adventure module to be released under the TSR banner, and that's 1998's Reunion. When WotC officially released the third edition, everybody knew the Forgotten Realms would be the first official setting released for it, but there were some in the community that were hoping Al-Kadim would, at the very least, get a few morsels of an update. That didn't happen for that edition, though 3.5 did see the Shair class and the Barber, Corsair, Holy Slayer, and Mamluk Prestige classes be released in two separate editions of Dragon Magazine. Those are issues 315 and 321, respectively. Needless to say, Al-Kadim didn't get anything official for either 4th or 5th editions, and it doesn't appear at first glance that anything's on the way for one D&D either, but that doesn't mean the setting's been allowed to fade into the past. There are a number of fan sites online that have provided updates to the Al-Kadim setting for the two editions, and if you're interested in checking those out, toss Al-Kadim into your Google machine and follow the links. One thing I wanted to clarify before we dig further into the specifics of the setting is that Arabian Adventures specifically covered character creation rules, equipment, and setting-specific spells, while Land of Fate was the supplement that first got into expanding the specifics of the setting, describing the land of Zakara, as well as providing source materials for both the players and the GM, and doing so with books for both. As I just mentioned, Saqqara is the land that Al-Kadim is set in, and it's known throughout the D&D world as the Land of Fate. If we're looking at it from a thematic perspective, it's a mix of the historical Muslim caliphates, the stories of legend, and a healthy dose of Hollywood's own take on the Middle East. Insofar as exactly where Zakara would be on your map of D&D settings, it's presented as being a peninsula on the continent of Faroon in the world of Toril, which Forgotten Realm fans will be more than familiar with, as Faroon and Toril are the setting for Forgotten Realms, which, by the way, we covered in great detail in back-to-back -back episodes of this show over a year ago. That being said, Al-Kadim was set up to stand on its own, with absolutely zero knowledge of the realms being needed. The locale is also why fans of Al-Kadim have been hoping for some setting information every time new Forgotten Realms materials have been released. As you might expect from the culture Al-Kadim is drawn from, there are a number of important concepts to the culture of Zakara, including honor, family, social station, purity, piety, and hospitality. Now, before we break down the setting in more detail, I wanted to note that Zakaran society is broken down into two main divisions. Al-Badai, which are the nomadic desert people, and Al-Hadar, who are the city people. Insofar as the races of Zakara, it's mostly human. That being said, elves, dwarves, orcs, goblinoids, and ogres are also present, though in smaller numbers than you'd see in some of the other settings in the D&D world. Zakara is also presented with virtually no racial disharmony, as all the various races tend to share the same culture, lifestyle, and social status. Zakara is also different from other settings in that the races we typically see as nothing more than evil savages, such as goblins, are presented as valuable and valued members of the society. That racial diversity is most prevalent among the Al-Hadar, 
as the nomads of the desert are primarily human. What all of these races share, regardless of whether they roam the desert or live in cities, is religion. There's one religion, which is a polytheistic pastiche of Islam. They're all subjects of the Caliph, which also means the entire continent is, for all intents and purposes, a single empire. That being said, it is broken down into multiple regions and city-states, and the Al-Badai are separated into multiple nomadic tribes. Also, all of the people of Zakara speak and write the same language, called Midani, and it's represented by Arabic in the various supplements released over the years. Now, this is AD&D, so of course there's an exception to everything I just said. There are a number of pagan tribes out there, usually human barbarians, who reject the law of the Lorgiver, which we'll touch on momentarily, and refuse to worship the Pantheon, which we'll also cover in a moment. There are also a number of monstrous races, like the Yuan-Ti, Yakmen, or Yakaria, as they prefer to call themselves, and giants who all choose to live in their own societies and basically make their own rules. So I just mentioned the Pantheon, so let's talk religion. Zakara has a wide variety of gods, but everyone recognizes the power of fate. Zakarians believe that fate may cast down the mightiest of sultans or raise up the lowliest of beggars. Even though everyone believes in fate, nobody can seem to agree on her nature. Some believe she's the mother of the gods, while others see her as an elemental force. Still, everyone acknowledges her and recognizes her power. For the purposes of D&D game terms, there are no stats provided for fate. That runs against the basic policy of the time of providing stats for most of the gods of the D&D world, and many believe some of it falls under the old adage of, if you stat it, your players might believe they can kill it. Fate also has no spells or priesthoods, which also makes it rather unique in the D&D pantheon. I mentioned the lore giver a moment ago, so let's talk about her. In the distant past, a woman referred to as the lore giver penned the scrolls that laid out the laws of the land in no uncertain terms. Many believe she was guided by the very hands of fate. The wisdom of the lore was immediately recognized by all and became the very base upon which the laws of Saqqara were built. Nearly all of the Al-Hadar and most of the Al-Badiya are enlightened in the way of the lore giver. Now, with the setting covered, this is where we'd normally get into the basics of the system. You know, what dice are used for skill checks and attacks and such. Since we've covered AD&D to death over the years, we'll refer you back to all of those episodes in the archives and instead focus on the various character ideas that are available in this setting. One thing that makes Al-Kadim different from most of the other settings of D&D is that characters are built using the concept of character kits, which is a more rigid method of building characters. The kits are, generally, available to all characters, though there are some restrictions based on the character's race. All of the standard D&D races are available, even though I didn't mention half-elves, gnomes, and halflings earlier. Regardless, it still holds true that most of the racial prejudices non-humans would typically face in a D&D campaign do not exist here. It also needs to be noted that non-human characters are much rarer in Al-Kadim than in almost any other setting. For the record, the City of Delights supplements offer suggestions for goblins, hobgoblins, kobolds, lizardmen, ogres, half-ogres, orcs, and half-orcs as PCs as well. 
insofar as classes. All of the standard classes of D&D are allowed, though specialty priest and specialist wizards are prohibited. Okay, so I made a big deal about the kits a few moments ago. Let's take a closer look at them so we can try to understand the reason why these are such a big deal. Your warrior types have seven different kits. Ascar are citizen warriors. Corsairs are the typical pirate types. Swashbuckling seaborne warriors. Desert riders are nomadic fighters riding horses or camels across the desert. Faris are holy warriors that are fighting for their faith and their people. Mamluk are slave warriors noted for their special tattoos. Mercenary barbarians are warriors from abroad who come to fight for money, fame, or power. And outland warriors are those who are truly foreign to the land of Zakara. Now, wizards had four kits in the original release. Elemental mages are masters of one of the four elements. Sha'ir are wizards whose magic is centered on genies and is aided by their familiars, which are gens or minor genies as they're also known. Sorcerers are the most common types of wizards in the game, and they deal with two elemental forces. Ajami are outland wizards from beyond the land of fate. It should be noted that the complete Shire's handbook brings eight more kits to the table. Astrologer, Clockwork Magic, Digitologist, Ghoul Lord, Jackal, Mage Weaver, Mystic of Nog, and Spellslayer. Rogues have seven kits to choose from. Saluk are free men and women who follow their own path. Barber are experts in the way of the bazaar and the city. I guess I should say bazaar. You know what I mean. Beggar thief? I think enough said. Holy slayer are assassins working for an assassin order. Think Assassin's Creed on this one. Matrud are tribal castouts making their own way in the land of fate. Merchant rogues are the masters of the mercantile arts who carry their trade from town to town. And Rawan are the storytellers and bards of Zakarian society. Priests also have seven kits to choose from. Pragmatists are the most liberal and common of all priests who try to adapt their faith to the everyday world. Ethoists are conservative priests who promote a particular path. Moralists are the most conservative and intolerant among the priests. Hakima are wise women who serve as valuable advisors to the outer tribes. Kahin are the idol priests of Zakara and are often champions of nature. Mystic are eremitic priests who tend to visit populous centers to deliver prophetic pronouncements. And outland priests are priests who follow a faith foreign to the land of fate. You'll note there are kits in each class that refer to those who are foreign or from the outside. These kits allow for backgrounds of characters who come from other areas of the Forgotten Realms, which allows for different backgrounds and ideals for the campaign. Sometimes those backgrounds by themselves are enough to present conflict and therefore help drive the narrative. I also need to point out that three additional kits were published in the pages of Dragon Magazine 198 in the article Scimitars Against the Dark, the Priest Defender for Priests, the Sun Gazer for Wizards, and the Tomb Robber for Rogues, which was adapted from the Burglar Kit that came out in one of the supplements. Shannon Applecline said this about the game, quote, It was an Arabic setting that ended up placed in the Southern Forgotten Realms. Like the other games of this period, it had a strong artistic design, here overseen by Andrea Heyday. The cultural book, as Grubb called it, trying to suggest it was an Oriental Adventures-like release rather than a full-blown campaign, was well received. 
Grubb would later say that was because they had managed to hide the setting's potential from the suits, end quote. I think that's a good spot to wrap the first topic, so let's move on to our other subject for today. Karatur, the Eastern Realms, had a very interesting road to becoming its own D&D setting. It was first described in the original 1985 edition of Oriental Adventures, with the review of that book from White Dwarf calling the Karatur background materials, quote, a bonus, end quote. Karatur got mentioned again, and again with a fairly detailed description, in a 1986 module for Oriental Adventures titled Swords of the Daimo. The 1987 Forgotten Realms campaign set intentionally left the eastern half of the continent reserved for Karatur, though it was always intended to be a separate release. In describing the setting, Jim Bambra has noted on more than one occasion that, quote, while primarily drawing on Japan for inspiration, it also contains elements of medieval China and Korea, end quote. Karatur, The Eastern Realms, was designed by Mike Pondsmith, Jay Padista, Rick Swan, John Nephew, and Deborah Christian, with cover art by the legendary Jeff Easley and interior illustrations from Jim Holloway, who, by the way, is also an extraordinary illustrator. That book was published by TSR in 1988 and came as a boxed set with two 96-page books, four large-color maps, and two plastic overlays. Through the life of the setting, eight modules were published for it, as well as maps through the release of Trail Maps for Karatur and in the Forgotten Realms Atlas. Karatur, much like Al-Kadim, was only anticipated to be a two-year project, and in this case, TSR held to that, stopping production on the line in 1990. Shortly after the line was ended, TSR did convert the monsters from the setting to 2nd edition AD&D and published them in their Monstrous Compendium series. While the setting was technically finished, it wasn't exactly dead. TSR continued to reference it in other settings, including Spelljammer and Ravenloft. Karatur technically existed as a setting in 3rd edition, as it was often mentioned in the various Forgotten Realms supplements, and some of the characters and artifacts from the old modules would occasionally show up in the new materials. However, Wizards of the Coast chose not to expand further on the setting officially, though fans of the old materials could fairly easily convert it to 3rd edition thanks to the bits and pieces of material they got inside the new supplements. 4th edition passed Karatur by, but 5th edition did not. In 2015, Wizards of the Coast released Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, which was a more detailed release for that particular section of the Forgotten Realms. While Karatur didn't get the kind of love that fans of the region wanted, it did get a brief rundown of the land throughout the book, as well as some notes on the culture, along with some background concerning how some character classes or backgrounds might work for the region. Again, it wasn't a ton of material, but it again gave the interested player or GM just enough to work with to convert the setting to the new edition. Many fans have voiced their displeasure over the past few years as Wizards of the Coast has placed an advisory on the Karatura materials available through the GM's Guild stating that it, quote, may reflect ethnic, racial, and gender prejudice that were commonplace in American society at that time, end quote. They've also made it clear that any future uses of the setting will clean up those issues. I personally wasn't bothered by the advisory, for the record. If you were or are, I get it. I'm just not in that particular portion of the community. Now, it should be noted that three different choose-your-own-adventure books were released during the TSR years, 
Blade of the Young Samurai in 1984, Test of the Ninja in 1985, and Warlords One-on-One in 1986. One of the novels in the Empire's trilogy was also set in that setting. 1990's Forgotten Realms, The Empire's Trilogy, Book 2 by Troy Denning. I want to get a bit into the setting of the book, but I have to note that while there was some detail given in the box set, it was also assumed that if you were playing Kawartur, you also owned the Oriental Adventures books, since there was a lot of referencing back to those in this setting. In fact, the overall details of the setting were intentionally light, as the designers have stated over the years that the idea was for the DM to flesh them out in any way they saw fit. Overall, though, the cultures and peoples of Kawartur looked like this. Shaolung was an analog of imperial China during the various periods of a centralized government. Tulung represented historical China during areas like the Warring States period of time. Wa was feudal Japan, specifically during the Edo Kamakura times. Kozakura was also Japan, but more during the feudal Sengoku time. The northern wastes represent historical eastern Siberia, which many forget wasn't always a part of Russia, the Soviet Union. Tabal is the analog for Tibet, and Koryo would represent Korea. The island kingdoms represent the pre-colonial civilizations of Indonesia and the Philippines. And then there's the Plain of Horses. Now, if I have to tell you who this represents, you've not been paying attention to your history of the region. Yeah, okay, all right, I got you. It's the analog for historical Mongolia. Also, for the record, it's the Karatur portion of the Wastelands, which it also shares with the rest of the Forgotten Realms. The Karatur portion is also known as the Endless Wastes. The Jungle Lands and Malatra represent the pre-colonial civilizations of Indochina, which would mean the historical versions of the Khmer Empire and Vietnam, along with the hill tribes that were inspired by real-life Southeast Asian hill dwellers. And really, other than the cultural adjustments, the game played like any other AD&D supplement would. Like I said, you can still pick up copies of it today. They're just going to have to be in PDF form. Karatur did win a Gamer's Choice Award in 1989, so that's a testament to what gamers of the time thought of the setting. Shannon Applecline pointed out in his detailed evaluation of the Karatur setting online that Ed Greenwood had noted, quote, also includes recastings of my largely offstage kingdoms like Unther and Mulholland to more closely resemble real-world historical or Hollywood historical settings, end quote. Apple Klein also noted that Greenwood, who, for those who aren't aware, is the father of the Forgotten Realms, disagreed with the overall results, noting that, quote, the two close to our real-world editions like Maztica, the Hordelands, and Karatur were a mistake in style, end quote, and he went on to add that, quote, they pulled gamers out of role-playing and into disputes about historical details, for one thing, end quote. With that, we've come to the end of today's tour. Next week is episode 100, and I'm going to leave the topic as a surprise for now. I will say that several of our listeners have asked me about doing this particular topic, and I've responded each time to let them know that it was going to be the topic for episode 100. So if you got a response from me that told you what episode 100 is, then you know. But let's keep that secret to ourselves until next week. In the meantime, check out our other podcast, Bad GM's Campaign Build Along. This week, we continue to get our group out of the sticky situation they found themselves in. And we'll also recap my group session from last week. 
Bad GM's campaign Build-Along is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgmproductions.net. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Role-Playing History is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash Bad GM Prod. On Twitter at Bad GMP. YouTube and Tumblr, it's Bad GM Productions. You can email us, badgmproductions at gmail.com. And online, the website is badgmproductions.net. Next week, we celebrate the 100th episode of our show and hit a topic I've been wanting to cover for a very long time. I just hope you will love it as much as I do. But that's next week. Until then, I'm Wayne Davis and your role-playing history.